Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight analysis on all the subjects and topics you're debating in football. Where else to start today? Uh, but with Unai Emery and his sacking by Arsenal. Uh, I'm Ian McGarry and Duncan Castles is with me as always. We also uh, were the podcast who brought you uh, the information last Monday that Arsenal's directors were meeting to discuss Emery's future. Um, We can tell you that that particular meeting ended up with a resolution that should things go wrong against Eintracht Frankfurt in the Europa League on Thursday evening, then a decision would be made on his future. The only problem was who would come after Emery. Obviously, we know now that it will be Freddie Lundberg who takes charge of the team for this weekend's game against Norwich City and potentially as well for next Thursday's Premier League meeting against Brighton Hove Albion at home. Duncan, I guess we've been reporting on this for weeks now. It's not a shock, and it's probably not even a surprise. Where do Arsenal go from here? Because clearly with Lundberg, they have a very inexperienced coach. find themselves in a bit the same way as Manchester United did when they sacked Jose Mourinho and employed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and we all know what's happened there. Yes, yeah, so just remind our listeners that um, that you broke news um, almost a month ago now that the Arsenal players had petitioned the board over Emery's management, um, complaining about communications issues they had with him, uh, difficulties they had understanding his tactical instruction, his in-game management because of his struggles with the English language. So, you know, we've highlighted this um, discontent over Emery and also. Arsenal's preparations to replace Emery for several weeks now. We did a story again at the beginning of the month that um, Arsenal's head of football, Raul Sanyehi, had met Jose Mourinho to discuss um, replacing Emery should they make the decision, should the club need to make the decision to change the coach, which gives you a sense of how long the club has been preparing for this. Um, I Sanyehi, I'm told, has been looking at a number of candidates during that period. He's drawn up a list of criteria that he would like um, the future coach to meet, which includes um, being good with the English language, which isn't a surprise given that much of the problems with Emery are being attributed um, to his linguistic failures, and that's coming uh, from staff at the club and from players at the club. Um, they want someone who has knowledge of the Premier League. Um, again, uh, the contrast with Emery is clear-cut. They took a coach who, although having a very good reputation as a tactician in European football and a track record of uh, trophies, uh, particularly at Sevilla, had not worked in the Premier League before, so had that transition adaptation period that they were prepared to wait through. And remember, invest heavily in him last summer in his squad um, with the aim of getting back into the very clear stated aim of getting back into the Champions League for next season, uh, taking the financial benefits of being in the Champions League and, and building towards a squad that could compete again for the Premier League title and try and win a first Champions League for the club. 
Um, I'm told Sanyehi also wants a club man, i.e. someone who will um, sacrifice his own position um, for that of the club in public and while working. Um, obviously, then they've been looking at options for a while. Um, Arsenal's position in this was interesting, of course, when, when we reported that um, Sanyehi had had that conversation with Mourinho, who was a coach that he had um, pushed for the Barcelona job um, at, at the point at which Barcelona chose to appoint Pep Guardiola. Um, the response was from an Arsenal spokesman that the, the dinner with uh, Mourinho didn't happen and we are not looking for a new coach. Um, well, as it turns out, less than a month later, they are absolutely and on record in stating that they're looking for a new coach and they have dismissed Emery and they're trying to come up with a quick solution to what has turned into a real problem situation with just one win in the last nine matches. Um, and that win itself, a, a kind of slightly fortunate one, and it was a come-from-behind victory against um, Vittoria Guimaraes. Um you, I mean, I think we need to talk about the list of potential candidates. And Ian, you have some information in that regard as to who could be the replacement for Emery. In, um, indeed, should Lundberg not um, convince in those caretaker games? Indeed. And um, I'd just like to sort of go back slightly to a previous pod when we reported that. Um, Representatives of Arsenal had contacted Max Allegri's representatives to discover whether or not he would be interested in the job. Uh, and the update on that is that Allegri is very uh, reticent about the proposition of taking over a club in, in such a, a state of um, chaos uh, in terms of um, the dressing room, as well as obviously uh, results. Um, and Allegri would prefer to wait for a club which has a, a more stable base uh, in, under which he could then take control and work properly from rather than taking over what you could probably just describe accurately as a basket case right now. Um, I think the most interesting one, Duncan, is that um, I've had uh, a conversation today with someone very close to former Arsenal captain Patrick Vieira, who has confirmed that, that Vieira has been contacted by Arsenal uh, in the last few days with regards to the possibility of taking over at the Emirates Stadium. Uh, Vieira, who is obviously currently with Nice uh, and formerly with New York City, um, is someone who has not quite got the Premier League uh experience that perhaps uh, Arsenal would like but as you've already said um, at the top of the, the pod uh, they are looking for someone who is look who has, if you like, the club in his veins, who's willing to sacrifice himself for the club run, for the personal glory uh, Patrick to me um, someone I've known a long, long time in football uh, certainly comes under that kind of description with regards to Arsenal um, despite obviously leaving and playing uh, after his career with uh, the Gunners at Juventus and then also um, with other uh, three other clubs after that. But however, I do believe that Vieira would be someone who would fit um, the 
CV that Art are looking for, uh, someone who I think could unite what is clearly a divided dressing room as well. Um, Vieira is uh, the much overused phrase, a legend at Arsenal. So when he walks into that dressing room, the players there will look up to him. And they do have a group of players right now who, some of whom started their careers when Vieira was still playing. So we're not looking at someone who is an historical figure. We're looking at someone who actually was, you know, someone, uh, a current, if you like, um, influence on potentially some of their careers. So I think Patrick Vieira is certainly someone who um, fits uh, the profile, um, however, but without the coaching experience at the highest level. Now, given that Allegri is effectively ruling himself out, Brendan Rodgers is someone, another coach who has been mentioned very, very frequently in terms of the Arsenal job. But again, um, having spoken this morning to lots of people who know um, Brendan Rodgers well, He's not right now in a position where he would like to change job. He sees that he's got a project at Leicester City, um, which obviously is bearing fruit. And um, their position now in the league is obviously superior to Arsenal's. Uh, he's got a momentum um, in the King Power Stadium, which is increasing his profile as a top-level coach. And taking Arsenal right now as a job would be a risk for Brendan Rodgers. Something you might not normally have said a year ago, but that is the case. And um, Duncan, you have news about Nuno Espirito Santo with regards to the possibility of him taking over and leaving Wills. Yeah, I'll just say it doesn't surprise me that Brendan Rodgers is um, backing away from this opportunity at present. As you say, he's 11 points ahead of Arsenal at the moment, very much on course for qualifying Leicester City for the Champions League, which will be perceived as a huge success and justifiably so. I mean, he's 10 points um, margin from fifth place at present and, uh, and the team you know, operating at a very high level. So if you're Brendan Rodgers, and we know Brendan Rodgers is a guy who calculates um, for the long term in his career, is a very ambitious uh, individual, um, the optimal strategy you would expect would be to stay with Leicester City, achieve that Champions League place and see if uh, one of the uh, more premium jobs opens up to him down the line. Um, and, and we know that Brendan... Um, has ambitions or has had ambitions in the past to be Manchester United manager. So perhaps he's even thinking that um, he could be a, a, a shout for that should Ole Gunnar Solskjaer survive until the end of the season um, and his his own personal stock uh, increase further with Leicester City's successes. Um, Nuno Espirito Santo, I, I can tell you my information is that um, Arsenal are strongly interested in him as a potential replacement for Emery. Um, again, uh, you're looking at Raul Sanyehi's role in this case. Sanyehi has a close relationship with George Mendes, a long-standing relationship with George Mendes, who is Nuno's um, agent. And um, Nuno ticks those boxes I mentioned in terms of speaking English well, knowing the league. Um, he has effectively an impeccable record in English football in the sense of bringing Wolves up, um, playing 
uh, very technical, um, high quality football, the kind of football that, that would be appreciated by Arsenal fans um, doing something that really hadn't been done in the championship before and people were very sceptical about when he when he started. Um, he is not an ostentatious man, so he fits that criteria of being a club coach, a club man. Um, and if you're looking around the market at the moment, you can understand why Arsenal are thinking here is someone who won't be on that particularly high a salary level, has um, showed his capabilities as a organiser of defences um, and showed the ability to use high quality technical players effectively against um, better teams in this division. So that that's kind of a good fit to what Arsenal need at the moment. Um, I think there's a difficulty there in that they should they decide to go down that line. And remember, this is not going to be Sanyehi's decision by himself. This will be have to get sign off from the Cronkies as to who the next manager is. And the Cronkies are already in a difficult position because they decided to dismiss Arsene Wenger and their first replacement is now clearly a failure. So they um, they have to get this right from a public relations perspective. And they also kind of need to get it right from a financial perspective because that qualifying for Champions League and getting those revenues back onto Arsenal's balance sheet is very important for them. Um, it's going to be difficult this season. I'm told that it, the, the discussions are that they want European football to come out of this season. So, um, you know, a Europa League qualification place, given the deficit with which the new manager would be entering, would be acceptable as a return on this year and then try and get in the Champions League um, the following season. The, the issue, of course, is that Wolves have extremely affluent owners in the Chinese investment group, Fosun. And um, my information is that Fosun are, would be very reluctant to let Nuno go. So you're talking in the best case scenario about a, a significant compensation package to um, Wolves were Arsenal to pursue that route, which would obviously increase the overall cost of um, of hiring Nuno. Um, and would probably require Mendes, if he was to go along with this, if Nuno decided that it was the right career move for him to leave a club that is above Arsenal in the Premier League at the moment and doing well in Europa League. Should he decide to to leave, they'd probably be dependent on Mendes persuading Fosun that he could source a a coach of equivalent ability or better as Nuno's replacement and then take the compensation package and uh, invest that in the team. So um, definite interest there, whether they decide to um, to push the button on that and actually try and hire Nuno and whether they can get him out is more of an open question. Well, we know that Chelsea were interested in Nuno Espiritu Santo as well, Duncan, when uh, they were in the midst of relieving Maurizio Sarri of his duties, uh, obviously with Frank Lampard in the end, but it was definitely a two-way decision, if you like, and it was Nuno or Frank Lampard. Lampard obviously had lots of... Um, Aces, if you like, up his sleeve regarding his history with Chelsea, but only one season in the Championship for experience, and that's one of the reasons why Nuno was one of the options for Chelsea. Um, what I wonder, though, is I take you back to 2015, Duncan, 
and conversations I had, I know you had similar conversations with people at Arsenal at the time, and they were saying um, one of the reasons we can't or don't want to sack Arsene Wenger immediately is that we don't want to get ourselves into the same mess that Manchester United have done after uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's retirement there. And obviously at that point in 2015, David Moyes had come and gone um, and Louis van Gaal had been employed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we'll see what's happened at Old Trafford. It's been one mistake after another. Now, it must seem a little bit ironic now for the hierarchy at Arsenal that having delayed Wenger's departure for the very reason they didn't want to put themselves in a similar situation, that they then find themselves in a similar situation as United did in 2013, um, especially that you know the uncanny sort of um, irony about appointing a novice coach like Freddie Lundberg into the interim position in the way that they've done at United after five managers have left in Solskjaer. Yes, and look, at obviously, there's two things here. One of the other strong candidates for the role is Mikel Arteta. We know that Arteta was um, close to being hired by Arsenal uh, when they eventually decided to go for Unai Emery. And if anything, he's burnished his reputation since. We uh, we reported on the podcast recently that he is a candidate for the Everton job um, should Everton decide to dismiss Marco Silva, which most people feel is a sacking that is coming and is a matter of time. Um, and that, obviously, knowing that another Premier League club are looking at Arteta is going to put an additional pressure on Arsenal who, if they were close to appointing him last time, will be thinking maybe we need to take him now or, or risk losing him to another club. Um, the problem, of course, with Arteta is you're taking on um, an unknown quantity. So this is, it would be a man who has not managed before. Um, obviously, Pep Guardiola speaks incredibly highly of Arteta and has said that he expects him to be a top manager once he goes out on his own and and fully expects him to do that at some point. Um, when asked about it the other day, he said that um, he didn't think Arteta would leave during the season. He would uh, remain for the rest of the campaign, but after that it would be up to his own um, personal ambition whether he decided to go elsewhere, and, and that was something that Guardiola wouldn't stand in the way of. But in a situation like this where... Um, Arsenal need a turnaround and, and look, they probably are going to get a turnaround. Um, we've seen it at Tottenham Hotspur. We've seen a kind of similar situation and the players had um, uh, grown tired of the way Pochettino was um, holding himself and the way he'd been behaving at, in this season, which was a, you know, a, a significant difference to his past behaviour, um, distant and... Um, uh, not as involved in in day-to-day uh, -day man management um, and you know feeling from the camp that uh, that the, the, the manager himself was responsible for some of the drop-off in performance so you've got a situation at Arsenal where the players clearly unhappy with Emery um, and will almost certainly respond by picking up performance because that that discontent has been removed 
Um, so whoever comes in will probably turn results around immediately. But um, if you take Arteta and, you know, the the demands are high in the sense that they need Champions League football uh, in a year's time, um, there are no guarantees that a a guy who has been a good assistant coach, who was a, a top professional and a very intelligent professional, so, you know, those are all plus signs and, and things you'd expect to help as a uh, solo manager, but there are no guarantees that you'll actually be able to perform at that level and to go straight in to a club of the significance of Arsenal uh, and moreover to go into a club of the significance of Arsenal, which is in a difficult period. You know, it's like we've, we've said on this podcast that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's probably got the hardest job in football at present certainly in English football, in that he's having to turn around a, a club that has issues from top to bottom and, um, and, and is clearly out of his depth in that role. Um, Arsenal, I think there, there are similarities there. It's, and, and I think you highlighting the, the time it took um, Arsenal to dispense with Wenger is, um, is very um, important here. I mean, I was talking to someone in a senior position at another Premier League club recently and just discussing what was happening at Manchester United and Arsenal. And, and he made the point that there may be similarities between the two clubs and that they both come off this long era of a single dominant manager who ran most of the departments of the club. And um, then changed and had to deal with that process of change and having that person removed from the organization and and trying to rebuild the organization with new department heads um, as well as new managers um, to get a similar level of performance or better level of performance. Um, And he contrasted them with Chelsea and said, look, Chelsea, uh, the people who work at Chelsea, they're used to change. Abramovich sacks every manager there. And he does it on a regular basis. So the, 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 the staff around the manager are used to a new person coming in on a regular basis and they know how to cope with that process of change. And it's not that they like managers getting sacked, but it doesn't phase them in the way it's probably done at Manchester United and looks like doing at Arsenal. And I, and I think that's, that's a fair comparison to make and a fair question to ask of Arsenal is whether they can get that right or whether they're going to sink into the same kind of spiral of decline that Manchester United have. I think we shouldn't underestimate the significance, Duncan, of the fact that both clubs, and that, I mean Manchester United and Arsenal, were for more than two decades in both cases under the auspices of a single authoritarian leader. And by that, I mean a control freak, someone who oversaw the workings of the club from top to bottom. Uh, We all know um, the stories of Wenger designing the dressing rooms uh, to his own requirements at the Emirates when they left Highbury. And, of course, Fergie's attention to detail is legendary as well. And, of course, when you have a huge uh, football club which has been used to being run by one person effectively uh, approving or disapproving of every 
major decision and even the minor ones, equipping yourself for when that person leaves is definitely going to be a challenge. Now, we've seen it be a challenge and a challenge which has not worked out too well for Manchester United. We're now seeing it as a challenge which is not working out well for Arsenal either. And it seems to me that there's been a lack of foresight on both clubs' part to equip themselves properly for what was going to be a massive sea change in the way that the club was run on a day-to-day basis, as well as how the club needed to be run in the future. Now, as we mentioned previously, Arsenal were determined not to fall into the same, um, well, let's just say it was a big hole that Manchester United fell into when Ferguson retired. And yet here we are, they have fallen into that same trap uh, in terms of not being equipped properly or indeed organising themselves, even with um, restructuring their um, administrative staff, sports, uh, sporting director, recruitment head, etc., etc., um, who have not been able to deliver anything like a consistency or a transition period, um, which has enabled the club to be competitive while they go through that um, initial change from being a club who's run by one person to a club who's been run by delegation. Um, And it seems to me as well that now, uh, even just this week, we learn and we hear that there was um, one or two people who were not in favour of sacking Emery after um, what happened last weekend with the the draw against Southampton. Uh, they decide to wait. It almost seems to me like there's, because there's not one person taking charge of the big decisions, it's become a bit of a mess. And hence you get this vacillation with regards to should we, shouldn't we, shall we, shan't we, et cetera, et cetera. And that lack of, um, I guess, decision making and and just sheer forthrightness is handicapping their progress. Well, look, you've got to say here that it could be one manager who wasn't the right fit. With Manchester United, we know the problems extend far beyond the manager who was chosen to replace Sir Alex Ferguson. And we know that the the problems at the club are in every department. The chief executive is out of his depth. The owners are only interested in money. The playing staff is not good enough. The recruitment staff make big errors. So... It goes beyond the manager there. Let's give Arsenal a little bit of the benefit of the doubt and suggest that maybe they do have good structures in place and what they got wrong was the appointment of Emery and he didn't fit the club. And, you know, a lack of linguistic ability for a coach who is notoriously detailed in his tactical instruction is going to be a handicap. So it's not beyond the realms to suggest it might just come down to choosing the wrong manager. But to stretch your analogy further, in Wenger and Ferguson, in Arsenal and Manchester United, both clubs had an authoritarian and charismatic and obsessive individual in charge. They were very similar in many ways and they lived football um, 24-7. And Ferguson was better than Wenger. Ferguson adapted with the times. Uh, Wenger remained 
managing essentially the same way as he had when he first came into English football and, and bettered Ferguson and, and turned Arsenal into the best team. But there were similar characters and there's a, there's a similar chasm there. With Manchester United, it has obviously been to their detriment that they changed the chief executive at the same time as they changed the manager. So they lost the experience of David Gill and they put in place a man who had no experience on the football side of the business prior to becoming chief executive of uh, the wealthiest football club in world football, which is, you know, in retrospect, it's not a surprise that that turned out to be a very bad decision. But look at Arsenal, and they've also lost the chief executive now. So they, they've, they've split that role. Um, and the man who made the decision to get rid of Wenger disappeared very shortly after he had pushed the button on getting rid of Wenger and went to Milan to become chief executive there and, and increase his salary and take um, share options at the Italian club. So well, you could say he dodged that bullet, didn't he? Well, maybe he dodged the bullet, but from Arsenal's perspective, they kind of placed, they do appear to have placed themselves in a similar position to Manchester United in that they have lost chief executive and lost the charismatic manager. Okay, they they have a head of football. Well, Duncan, Raul's- the circumstances go even beyond that. They're eerily similar. You have, in Manchester United, an American ownership group, a family yeah. who wanted more influence in the football department, uh, who decided that they wanted rid of Ferguson for that reason and then put in place a what we've seen to be naive, if not um, lacking in knowledge of football, um, effective or de facto chief executive Ed Woodward, who has made mistake after mistake. Now we see um, Josh Cronker, the son of Stan, the owner at Arsenal, again, another American sports group franchise, um, making similar mistakes at Arsenal with regards to when Wenger left, they wanted to have more influence. Gazidis left. Before then, they could simply rely on the fact that, well, if any mistakes are made, we can blame it on the manager because he controls everything anyway, likewise Ferguson. And here they are in exactly the same, well, very similar position to what Manchester United were in in 2013 and remain to this day six years later. Yeah, parallels. And I guess the difference with Arsenal is that it doesn't throw off as much cash as Manchester United. So the, the three years without Champions League football that Arsenal have suffered has really damaged the balance sheet. So they don't have the kind of ammunition to continually throw cash at um, high-level signings to try and get over the problems they, they've suffered in losing the manager, which Manchester United have tried. And to be fair, it's only had partial success for Manchester United and and. Ed Woodward and the Glazers have managed to, you could argue, damage that success by not sticking with um, a manager who was the most successful of that period and got them to second in the table, um, won a couple of trophies. Now, you know, there is an argument over whether they were right or wrong to dismiss him, but uh, they certainly haven't improved matters in terms of results by doing so and are very close to missing out Champions League two years running. They're on course to miss out Champions League two years running and that will hit the bottom line again. Um, 
So with Arsenal, they don't have those reserves, and you're right. They they've got they've allowed Josh Kroenke to take a um, influential role in day to day decision making. I think what they have in their favour is they have experienced football people in two positions. So they've got a um, director of football in Edu, who um, was a intelligent um, top professional who knows the club from having played for them and won titles with the club and has experience in Brazil of holding that role and and succeeding in that role, albeit Brazilian football is different from European football. They also have Sanyehi, who is a very experienced figure um, from Barcelona with with a lot of connections in the game and knows how the business of football works. So they're not as lacking in in quality professionals as Manchester United are, but they have, you know, there, there are lots of parallels there. There are lots of problems and it, it's clear that they have to get this appointment right. Um, you know, they, if, if they don't get the appointment right, they're going to miss Champions League football for a fourth consecutive season, potentially a fifth consecutive season. And then, you know, you run the risk of, of being surpassed by um, clubs you'd consider to be down the pecking order in English football, like Leicester City, who have organised themselves well, have got the recruitment right, and um, and have a coherent way of playing at present. And you know you've got Tottenham too, and this is obviously a major concern for Arsenal. You have Tottenham, whose balance book is fantastic, whose squad is considerably better than Arsenal's at present, and who have a coach who. Um, whatever you say about him has a track record of winning in the Premier League knows it inside out um, has commercial value to the club and who Sanyehi was very interested in hiring as the Arsenal manager and who was asking his friends whether he thought Arsenal would be the right job to take and was getting positives um, and and decided to take Tottenham when Pochettino was sacked uh, and uh, that became open to him. So, you know, that that's proper competition there from their greatest rival. And if he does that job well, if Tottenham use their additional financial ammunition well, then that's going to be a lot of pain for Arsenal because their supporters will be watching that and the general world will be reminding them of the differential between Tottenham and Arsenal through this process. So let's look at this going forward, Duncan. We've got six months left of this particular season. Um, two things come to mind for me which are going to be major concern for Arsenal and certainly for Arsenal supporters. And that is, first of all, um, what will the players make of this? Because we know from you know historical fact that the best players at any club that is failing or failing to live up to expectation um, will naturally use the sacking of a manager as an excuse or reason to find a way out of the club. And we already know that Aubameyang, who was uh, recently made captain at Arsenal, is wanted by both Barcelona and Real Madrid, potentially, um, as his record of goal scoring is phenomenal anyway, so why wouldn't he be? Um, and secondly, and probably much more importantly, who the hell is going to take this job in these circumstances? Because it it does seem, uh, you just mentioned Tottenham and, and the fact that they've got 
more financial resource potentially, but also a much better squad. Arsenal seem to be in a very invidious position right now. Look, you could look at that as a positive as well for the new manager. So they have Obama Young, um, and Obama Young is unsure about his position at the club. He's not um, signed a contract extension. There's doubts over that. But Obama Young is a very um, well paid player and someone who, should they decide to move on, would generate a, a substantial transfer fee and a lot of room in their wage bill for the new manager to make changes to the squad. So you could, as a new manager, say, okay, I'm prepared to sacrifice Obama Young and use that money to fix the defence, which is the obvious imbalance in their squad at present. I, I don't think they're so far away. That's the irony of, of this season. It's not horrendous the way the, the, the squad's set up. There are obvious weaknesses. Their goalkeeper's not great. They're poor at centre-back. Um, but they have good attacking players and they have um, a cohort of talented youngsters coming through into the team who, if managed well, um, have a lot of potential for them. So, yes, there's an issue of whether they can retain their star individuals. But on the other hand, they can use that issue to rebalance and rebuild and, uh, and go down a different route. And, you know, a new manager coming in, I guess they would be hoping that that new manager would reintegrate Mesut Ozil into the team who is refusing to leave um, and who is very high on their salary, very expensive for them, and they need to get in the team. And we know Ozil can provide goals. We know he can be a top performer in the Premier League if he has a manager who believes in him and utilises his skills well. So, you know, it's not... I'd be more worried about coming into Manchester United at present than I would about coming into Arsenal. I think Arsenal still have a better squad than Manchester United and they still have um, more potential for an immediate turnaround than Manchester United. Um, It's close, but Arsenal, you know, it's not a complete disaster if they can find the right man to pull the pieces together and get get them winning games rather than losing games and drawing games. Well, this is Transfer Window Friday podcast. You will forgive us if we have devoted the large majority of our time to the situation at Arsenal, I'm sure, with Unai Emery's sacking and all that that has uh, raised questions with regards to his successor and what happens now for one of England's uh, biggest and greatest football clubs. We're going to go just a little bit of news, Duncan, uh, because you have uh, some information on Eric Bailly's future at Manchester United um, with regards to what may be happening with the French international going forward. Yeah, it's just um, Eric Bailly's contract is up at the end of this season um, and therefore Manchester United have to make a decision as to whether they will take it, what I understand is a two-year option to his ex- extend his contract and retain his services or whether they allow it to go into January um, where he would be allowed um, to talk terms with other clubs, foreign suitors um, and potentially sign a pre-contract agreement on the basis that United were not going to implement that option. The expectation from the people around Bailly is that Manchester United do want to retain him 
Um, he's still just 25 years of age. Um, he has, at points in his Manchester United career, looked a very good Premier League defender, but been extremely unlucky with injuries through it and, uh, and not uh, developed that potential. Um, but you could see it working if they can keep the player fit and, um, and get him in the team. And certainly, from Bailly's perspective, he watches the way Manchester United defend and thinks, I can get myself into that defensive lineup because I am better than at least one of the centre-backs who um, Willi Gunnar Solskjaer is picking at present. Um, if, they don't do, if they don't do it, there is interest overseas. I understand that Monaco were exploring the option um, to sign by last summer and wanted to know what price um, Manchester United would put on him and whether he'd be interested in coming. I think there'll be suitors in other divisions as well. Um, the problem for Manchester United is if they exercise that option, there's an inbuilt um, increase in Bailly's salary, which they will have to pay uh, once they do so. So I think an element of this is the Edward calculation of I can save a little bit of money by waiting um, to make a decision on what I do with Bailly uh, rather than exercising that option now. Well, I have to say, if I was Bailly's agent and I was going for that meeting, Duncan, I would just mention three words if I wanted to extend my client's contract, and that would be Smalling, Jones and Shaw. <laughs> With the uh, obvious inference that my client is much better than those three players who've all had contract extensions recently at Manchester United. What did you make of um, United's uh, performance in the Europa League, losing 2-1 with a young team, Duncan, under uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in Astana on Thursday evening? Um not particularly surprising. Uh, they a lot of the players looked technically good. They um, they got their goal. Um, they looked as young teams often do, and I think you know you, you could see where Solskjaer was thinking by putting a lot of them on the field at the same time. So guys who played with each other um, at, in the lower level teams for Manchester United, so knew each how each other played and and you know playing against pretty weak opposition, there would be a feeling that. Um, maybe you could get this to work and 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 ride a wave of uh, of that sort of youthful confidence and and a, and a bit of naivety. Unfortunately, the the youthful confidence and naivety kind of cost them the game when Tahis Chong missed um, essentially an open goal um, at one nil just before Astana equalised. Um, I thought it was quite amusing the way Chong looked at the pitch as if um, a divot had uh, caused the ball to bobble before it came to him and, and then seemed to realise he was playing on a plastic pitch, so that excuse wasn't going to wash. Um, again, good PR for Solskjaer. He, he can say, look, I, I'm playing these academy players, I'm giving them the chance to develop. Um, however, there's a slight element. there was a slight element of risk in it in that Although United were all already through to the next round of the Europa League, they haven't secured first place in the group, so haven't secured that better draw for the, the knockout stages. And, you know, the way things are shaping up, the Europa League's probably his best chance to get them into the Champions League. So risking that, that better draw in the, the knockout rounds um, is, you know, a definite 
and an important risk to them. And if they get a, a tough uh, opponent in the knockout rounds, having let first place slip in their final game, um, and they go out, and remember that's the round when the other um, the the third place teams from the Champions League are entered into the draw. Then um, I think there could be some quite severe criticism of Solskjaer um, internally at Manchester United, who seem, as a club, to be putting quite a lot of emphasis on on the Europa League. We we talked on the podcast about how they had inserted the FIFA Club World Cup into their latest interim reports and suggesting it could be a major source of revenue for the club. And it, it's since emerged that there's a possibility that the, the that first competition. Um, in China, uh, one of the entrants will be this year's Europa League winners. So not only could it, well, it definitely offers a, an access route into the Champions League, an escape route into the Champions League, which, which of course, Jose Mourinho took up when he was Manchester United manager. Um, it potentially offers that entry into um, the lucrative Club World Cup, which could um, could be important to uh, a Manchester United balance sheet that's not looking anywhere near as healthy as it did um, a year ago. Well, we do talk about the domino effect in football management, and that's got nothing to do with pizzas. Uh, although if Mino Raiola's around, then you never know. Um, Spurs sack Pochettino, Mourinho gets employed, Arsenal have a look across North London, see the pressure that's been put on them. And strangely enough, Unai Emery is also out the door looking for his dinner. Now, who will be next? Well, I'm sure of this. You'll find out first on the Transfer Window podcast. But just to end this particular edition, we will go with the legendary quickfire round. Legendary, of course, because it's anything but quick. Uh, and on this particular occasion, where else? but we're going to give you our opinions on the potential candidates to replace Emery at Arsenal. Duncan, I'm going to go through the candidates. Let's each give our opinions and, of course, uh, be as long or short as you like. Freddie Lundberg, the incumbent interim manager. Uh, well, I've just talked about how Mikel Arteta would be a, a big risk as Arsenal coach because he's never managed before. I think you're looking at an even bigger risk with Lundberg, who hasn't um, has very little experience working with um, senior teams before. So um, he, I, I think you're right. He only gets that job if he does a Solskjaer and um, and gets wins and. Uh, Arsenal have for some reason not managed to secure the replacement that they want to in the next few weeks and they decide to roll with Lundberg and and, uh, and see how it continues uh, for a, a greater length of time. I agree with you on that. I'm told well liked by players but too nice to be certainly the manager of Arsenal anyway. Um, Brendan Rodgers. Um, again, uh, Look, he is the favourite of many people. He is someone who's being pushed by the punditry as a coach that Arsenal should be taking because he is flavour of the month. I love that. Understandably, like there, Duncan, the punditry. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that the punditry of pundits? <laughs> it is indeed. Or the With confederation our... of dunces. <laughs> you said that, not me. I did. <laughs> 
Um, you can understand why the punditry are pushing Rogers. Um, it's pretty standard to go for the uh, British manager who has the best set of recent results and propose that he should get whatever big name um, uh, Premier League job has become available. In this case, you can see the argument for Arsenal doing it. I'm not entirely sure he would be the the best option. Um, I think uh, I think he is he's benefiting from at Leicester from going to the right job at the right time. Has inherited a a very very strong um, group of players, and um, which which suits his managerial skills. But um, I think were he to go back into one of those top jobs, we'd find out a bit more about his managerial weaknesses, and I can understand why he is hesitant about taking on Arsenal because of the, the risks involved. I think another time, uh, Brendan Rodgers to Arsenal would be a good fit, but uh, he is of someone who's very uh, self-possessed about his career. I would believe that um, he'd see Arsenal as the wrong choice at this moment in time. And I think that's one of the problems that Arsenal are going to have with uh, appointing any manager for that matter. We talked to him before, Duncan, but Nuno Espirito Santo. Yeah, I can understand why Sanyehi um, is interested in taking Nuno. As I say, um, excellent track record in English football. Has also done well in, in his past jobs. A very down-to-earth coach. Um, not not a great speaker, not a great public speaker, someone who avoids controversy, but um, is te- technically good as a coach and um, tries to get his teams to play good football and knows how to set out a defence, which, let's face it, is probably Arsenal's biggest problem at present. I think you're right. I think Nuno is probably one of the stronger candidates. Um, not that I think Wolves will be um, keen to allow him to leave, but uh, he's someone who has managed at a high level in Spain and obviously done brilliantly with Wills and knows the Premier League. So he might be the kind of person who believes that his coaching career needs the challenge uh, of a faltering Arsenal in order to prove himself um, at the highest level. So I, I, I must admit, I wouldn't put him um, off the shortlist. And I think there's a potential that he might be one of the coaches who Arsenal could get. Unlike, I believe, Max Allegri, who, from all things I hear, would rather wait for um, a different job to come up. Um, His representatives are very cool on Arsenal's approach to him, not ruling him out. But at the same time, I think um, you mentioned uh, already on this week's pods, Duncan, that Allegri is a coach who wants to be in a job where he'll win trophies and be able to challenge for the Champions League as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, he, for a long time now, he's been plotting his next job after Juventus. He wants to win the Champions League. He wants the opportunity to win trophies. He's been at the biggest club in Italy and got close to winning the Champions League. There is a great interest in his part in managing in, in the Premier League. He's been spending time in England improving his English language skills in order to facilitate that if the right opportunity came up. But the people close to him have consistently said that, one, he doesn't want to go back early. He wants to take that full year sabbatical if he can. And two, that it has to be the right job uh, for him. And they don't see him 
sacrificing um, that opportunity to wait for one of the really big jobs in European football for an Arsenal job, which for the reasons we've outlined in detail in this podcast, it, it's going to be very difficult to achieve the level of success he is looking for. Yes, you can come into Arsenal and improve things. And yes, you can meet the club's targets. But if you want to win the Champions League and you want to be competing for league titles and you have every right to do so, given his CV, then really Arsenal is not going to be your first choice. We already spoke at length about Patrick Vieira, Duncan. So I'm just going to ask you for a quick yes or no as to his suitability for the job. (sighs) Vieira, I'm not entirely sure whether he is going to prove himself to be a top flight manager. Um, It heard some question marks about the way he has looked after that knee squad and coming into conflict with important individuals in the dressing room. Um, He's a bit old school, perhaps, for uh, modern footballers. Um, The test will be when he takes one of these Premier League jobs and, and we, we see what he can achieve but he certainly has that advantage of probably being the most popular appointment Arsenal could make and would buy a lot of time with the supporters so if you bring Vieira in they're going to write off this season for him in the way that um, Manchester United supporters are prepared to write off Solskjaer's second season, some of them as, a, as Manchester United manager so that, that obviously has to be of, a, of appeal to Arsenal and clearly um, it's a job that would be of appeal to Vieira so he's a man that they could recruit and, and get in that position but I, I think it, it comes with a you know a significant chunk of risk if you go down that line Old school I kind of like that that term sometimes especially with Patrick Vieira just wondering if you could get Vieira and Roy Keane together to manage Arsenal <laughs> how that might work that'd be interesting um, how about how about Vieira in at Arsenal and Roy Keane as, in as caretaker at Manchester United before they play each other just get them in a tunnel get them in that <laughs> tunnel and never mind the touchline um, okay so it's been a subject of um, much speculation I think some jocularity as well uh, we reported on Monday's pod that uh, Mercy Pochettino had laughed off the idea of managing Arsenal uh, to some of his senior players who had come to his house to uh, say goodbye to him as their manager. Is it realistic, Duncan? I don't think so. You, you, Pochettino, you're talking about a man who is greatly admired by Manchester United and has been sounded out for the job in the past, who almost had the Real Madrid job. Um, only Daniel Leverage's refusal to let him go prevented him from getting that job. He's looking at that end of uh, of the European and world football market. That's that's where his status is. Um, why would you leave Tottenham? And and remember, he has left. No mistake, he's left Tottenham of his own volition. He might have been uh, relieved of his duties, as the club chose to phrase it, but he didn't want to be there anymore. Um, Therefore, he's decided to leave Tottenham. You switch to across City with all the difficulties involved in that um, to an inferior squad with poorer financial resources when what you've been complaining about is that the um, chairman of the club you were at, Tottenham, wouldn't spend as much in the market as you wanted and wouldn't allow you to restructure the squad in the way you wanted. just doesn't make any sense. 
totally agree with you on that one. Um, Pochettino, for all intents and purposes that I've been told, is simply waiting for the call from Old Trafford or indeed the Santiago Bernabeu. Um, and given the abuse that Saul Campbell had when he made the switch across North London, effigies being burnt in the uh, hanging ropes, etc., etc., I'm pretty sure that Pochettino, um, given that his mental and emotional state has been run down in the last three to four months since the Champions League final defeat to Liverpool, just doesn't need that hassle. Duncan, a lot of people talking about, um, you know, young English managers, etc., etc. Is Eddie Howe in with a shout? Well, you have a lot of people in the media who are pushing for Eddie Howe to get a top job. And, you know, I I saw columns written about why Eddie Howe wasn't considered for the Tottenham job and when when would he ever be offered one of these top jobs. I know people in football who rate him very highly as a manager and have done for a long time. And, uh, you know, I've I've praised what, what he's done at Bournemouth, which is understandable. Um, the question with Eddie Howe for any um, larger club that's thinking of hiring him is whether you can transfer that into the domain of particularly a club like Arsenal where you are completely exposed to the media. You know, you're one of the, the basically one of the top four or five managers who the cameras are always listening for what you've got to say. You get asked difficult questions. Every bad result is inquisitioned in a way that it's not when you are the coach of Bournemouth and you're, you know, you're expected to stay mid-table and as long as you hang in around there, that's considered to be good work. Um, so the question is that, one, can, can an individual cope with that degree of pressure? And two, do they have the personality to manage another tier of players um, in more complicated games, playing twice a week instead of playing once a week? Um, and that's the big risk, I think, for people with Eddie Howe is does he come across as the individual that has the character and the personality to handle that? Um, and is he actually better than other options available to you in the market? Um, and, you know, there are, as always, because it's the Premier League, because you can afford to pay these people well, you get to choose from the cream of European and world management. You know, we were talking about Premier League where we have Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, uh, Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, Jose Mourinho at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, you know, the three biggest names in football management over the last decade are all working in the Premier League at the moment and being paid the requisite salaries. And someone like Max Allegri, um, would like to get into the Premier League uh, because of the salaries and because of the, the appeal of the, the division. So I think it, it is just hard for someone like Howe to be chosen ahead of these individuals, especially in a situation that a club like Arsenal is in at the moment where they need to get this appointment right. I think a more likely option for him is to take an intermediary club to get something like a Leicester City, maybe even to get a Wolves where Nuno to leave and then demonstrate that you can do as good a job at a Wolves in Leicester City as you've done at Bournemouth. If you do that, two different tiers of clubs, then you become a serious contender for these top jobs. Well, I 
I don't believe that it's any coincidence or even bad luck that um, several top jobs or even medium jobs, as you described them, Duncan, have been available. Eddie Howe has been um, certainly promoted by lots of people uh, to be a candidate for those jobs, and yet he's still at Bournemouth. And to quote one um, very uh, important and significant uh, figure in football, who does hiring and firing when asked about Eddie Howe, his response was, Eddie, why? So uh, we'll <laughs> leave it at that with Eddie Howe. Uh, but one from left field rather than central field, uh, Duncan, um, Rui Faria. Yeah, I, I think, personal view, that this is exactly the kind of candidate that Arsenal should be taking a serious look at. I know they considered him um, before appointing Emery, but uh, didn't interview him. Um, he's kind of a unique candidate, and he's got this sort of 15-year track record of uh, being an extremely important assistant coach who developed a, a training methodology and uh, which was central to the success of Jose Mourinho. Um, has won at the highest level two Champions League, multiple club titles. Um, knows how to manage players, knows how to do training sessions, knows all the elements that are required in a first-team manager's job, has been working off his own back for the last year in Qatar, won the first domestic trophy. Um, he started from scratch. The Emir Cup is well ahead in the league there at present, um, despite not having the, the strongest squad in the division. I think he has all the, the credentials in terms of um, coaching and managerial skills, what he doesn't have is the profile. And I think that that's where Arsenal should be looking at a, a, an individual like that. It's probably quite difficult for them to appoint an individual like that because the response would be Rui Hu um, from <laughs> a lot of their fans. And also, you know, he, he has a history with Chelsea and has a history with Manchester United and um, a history of enmity with Arsenal off the back of that, which makes it harder to go for an individual like that. But from, from the point of view of skill um, and the ability to hire someone at a reasonable price, then he, he's someone who should be shortlisted. Certainly should be ahead of someone like Mikel Arteta. Uh, in the running for a job like that, or Patrick Vieira, in in the sense of managerial skill and proven managerial coaching skills. So there you go. We've brought you Unai End, Eddie Y, and Rui Hu in this particular podcast. You can't say we don't keep you entertained as well as informed people. Um, please continue the debate with us uh, at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, which is obviously our main account at. Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ individually for us. Uh, you know, we always like to keep the debate going after the podcast has gone and been listened to. But please do, when you listen to the podcast and when you enjoy it, log on to iTunes and give us a five-star review. And as you know, it will increase our community further and we'll get even greater expanse of debate. This has been the transfer window on Friday on the day that Unai Emery's reign at Arsenal came to an end. Um, can't say that we weren't expecting it because, well, we've been telling you about it for the last month or six weeks. But however, we will bring you news, of course, who the new Arsenal full-time manager will be as soon as we know it. And the first time we'll get that opportunity, of course, unless it's on our 
uh, Twitter accounts, our Instagram and Facebook, which are also at Transfer Podcast. It will probably be on Monday. Until then, we will see you for the transfer window. Thanks for listening. Yeah.